Welcome into the Horror's Edge podcast. My name is Phil. And I'm Stacy. And today we're going to be discussing Halloween from 2018. This is not quite a uh, complete reboot. This is not a complete follow on the series. This is something where it's going to acknowledge certain films and completely uh, discredit a whole lot of films in a franchise. So what we're doing in this situation is we are acknowledging that Halloween 1978 took place and then everything after that completely ignore it. Uh, this is something that takes place 40 years after the original uh, 1978 film. And uh, so it, it's kind of like a uh, reimagining of the Halloween franchise, I guess is the best way to say it. Because the original movie, everything in there does take place and is canon in this film, whereas you need to ignore everything else. Yes. Um, this film instantly went to commercial success when it came out so a lot of uh especially horror movies are not big blockbuster movies this one is and was very much so do you think it has to do with the fact that it's so far in the future that it ignores the rest of the franchise i honestly don't know what the perfect storm of this movie was to make it such a success i mean it's a very good movie obviously get into that as we're getting to the reviews of Probably it jamie lee. uh jamie lee definitely helps but i mean jamie lee came back in h2o as well which is 20 years after and you would think that the h2o film would hit more of the demographic audience that they were aiming for because it 20 years after the original one came out the people who were invested as teenagers are going to be very much invested in this film uh Maybe it's the fact that Halloween truly did gather such a huge cult following because of the franchise over the years. But if that's the case, then why didn't the Rob Zombie ones do as well? That's or maybe true. now this is getting merging of the Rob Zombie audience as well as the traditional audience back on board because Jamie Lee Curtis came back. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly why this movie did quite as well as it did, but it blew up. It, it did really, really well in the box office. Um, gets high rewards, high remarks almost everywhere. Um, I remember a few reviews on YouTube coming out around the time that specifically Cody Leach, one of my favorite uh, YouTubers to watch reviewing movies, he shit on this movie when it came out. Uh, and it was pretty funny because I watched it shortly after I watched the movie. And I was just like, wow, do I need to watch this movie again? And I watched it again. And my, my uh, thoughts on it didn't change at all. I understood that some of his problems with it, and I did have problems with this movie as well, but my problems are very small in yeah. comparison to the good that this movie does for me. Now, this is a movie that I've seen a, a, a few times, quite a few times. Yeah, uh, the, this is my... Uh, I know that I'm going to get into this more with the review, but this is my, typically my go-to Halloween movie. If I'm just going to put one of them in just for a good time, a good watch, yes. this is... One that's easy to watch, it's easy to throw on in the background and just have on if you want something on. And it, it's a, overall a very well done movie, yes. I think. Um, this is the second time that they did uh, a movie in the franchise to where they say, hey, ignore these films. So that, that I mean, 
with a franchise as big as Halloween, I mean, we're coming up on our 13th film coming out tomorrow. Uh, there are going to be different directions taken. And it, it's funny that this one takes the same direction multiple times. So you have Halloween 1 and 2, 3 does its own thing. It, it's here, but nobody really acknowledges it as being canon in the film. And you got 4, 5, and 6, which is kind of its own thing, but obviously 1 and 2 have a strong theory as to why Myers has the lore that he has. And then you got H2O, which says, hey, ignore 4, 5, and 6. And then you have a resurrection, which says, we don't know what we're thinking. <laughs> it doesn't clarify whether 4, yeah. 5, and 6 happened or not. I guess it kind of does because Lori's still alive in it. But it doesn't really make mention of it, and she dies so quick in any way yeah. that it doesn't matter. Then you have Rob Zombie 2, which or Rob Zombie 1 and 2, which say, hey, none of them matter. Don't worry about any of them. And this one says, hey, the only the original one matters. Yeah. So if it you're trying to confusing. follow the timeline of these movies, unless if you know what's going on, uh, you need somebody to break it down for you uh, before going into it. Now, this movie does a good job of saying what does or does not happen, essentially, yes. without out front telling you this does or this does not happen. Yes. It does a very good job about that. So it helps when you're watching it, but at the same time, it it gets a little bit confusing. Um, so let's jump right into our reviews, because I think that it's going to take us a while to do a scene-by-scene -scene breakdown in this movie, because there's a lot to discuss. Yes. Um, now, may or may not affect the way that we talk about this movie. Once again, due to time restraints, we watched both Halloween and Halloween Kills. We took our separate notes of both of them. So obviously Halloween Kills is fresh in our mind, but I'm going to try my best to uh, not include anything that I know happens in a future movie and either give this praise or dispraise for. Yes. Um, yes. So I do want to throw that out there. Um, so the way that we rate movies is a one through ten. One being it's actual dog shit, don't waste your time, it's really not worth it. Five being this is an average movie. You can put it on the background. It's not going to hurt your feelings, and uh, you're just going to feel like it, it's a good movie. Nothing wrong with it. Ten is transcending. This is a movie that will blow you away. You need to talk about it. What, what did you give this movie? So this movie I gave the highest rating so far. I gave it a solid nine. Okay. What made I, you give it that? I really love the story. It really kept me on the edge of my seat the entire movie, which is always my end goal. Uh, the story was told really well. The scenes, I loved Meyer's mask. And I like how it had hints of the original kind of thrown in there, and it built off of it. Okay. So overall, it was a really enjoyable movie. What kept it from being a 10 for you? So far, you haven't given anything a 10. Right. Um, I'm saving that for when I have a <laughs> wow okay. movie. Gotcha. This is not something that just completely blew you away. No. This is just something that's very good. Maybe if I hadn't seen it before and this was my first go around, I might have held it to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. Um, but because I've seen this probably three, maybe four times, um, that's why it's not a 10. Okay. So I ended up giving it the same exact rating as you. It's a 9 out of 10 for me. The storyline is incredible. What they do with every character except for one is amazing. Uh, the uh, dialect between them, 
very good. You can tell that the director, the writers, speaking of which one of the writers uh, is actually Danny McBride, Eastbound and Down himself, which I thought is pretty freaking funny. Uh, he's had a pretty good career himself in all comedy movies. Who the hell would have thought that he could write this? Wow, I would have never uh, guessed. Pineapple Express, The End. He's in a lot of Seth Rogen stuff. He, like, Eastbound and Down. Awesome, awesome stuff. So, like, when I heard that this movie was coming out, I got excited. When I heard Danny, McBi Danny McBride was writing it, I thought, this movie's going to suck. Yeah. Because I thought that it would focus way too much on the comedy and not so much on the story, which it needed to. And, my God, these directors love this franchise. And you can tell with every scene. Yes. There are so many nuggets to previous movies that are in here, even some that aren't in canon. There's nuggets for them. It, this movie is awesome. Yes, it really, I really is. Enjoy top to bottom. Watching this movie. Yeah, the kills are great. Uh, they're brutal, but not over the top brutal. Um, just everything about this movie is the way very that they good. set up the scenes. Like each scene that they had, that was super intense. You felt that. You felt like you were there with the characters. The characters brought the scene to life. They acted really well. I really loved this movie. Yeah, it was very good. Um, so from here, we're going to get into a little bit of trivia about the movie. Uh, some of the stuff that I can find on IMDb, which can either enhance or detract away from it. Uh, keep in mind, some of this is spoilerific. So if you have not seen this movie yet, stop listening to this podcast. Go see this movie. It's definitely worth your time. Absolutely. So the first one that I found is the film's producer is Malak Akkad, who is the son of, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, probably Mustafa Akkad. And he was the producer of the original 78 Halloween as well as he had his hands in so many of the Halloween movies. And he was actually uh, murdered in the terroristic bombings uh, of it over at the Jordan Hotel in 2005. Oh, wow. And Jamie Lee Curtis was talking about how he was the first person that she saw when she came to set for the first day of filming in 2018. And she remembered as a seven-year-old child visiting the set during production of the original film and adding that, or 17, I wrote seven. <laughs> so it's a goof on here. But as a 17-year-old child visiting the set during production of the original film and the first time that she saw him, uh, it immediately brought her father, his father's death, uh, to her mind and came up in tears. Wow. Um, as with the original Halloween movie, Michael Myers is listed in the credits, not as Michael Myers, but as the shape. Oh, I didn't notice. So the original movie, I don't think said the shape at all throughout the duration of the movie, but in the credits, it said the shape. This movie, Laurie actually calls him the shape in one, uh, scene, which I thought was really um, the song playing when the boy and his dad notice the bus crash is the Western version of the song Laurie sings throughout the original movie. It can also be heard at the end credits. The role of uh, Allison, Laurie's granddaughter, became somewhat of a coveted role. Obviously, this very big blockbuster type movie. Multiple popular actresses, including Lucy Hale and uh, Emma Roberts, met with Danny McBride to personally talk about the movie. However, the studio decided they wanted to go the back roots of the first movie and cast a unknown, completely unknown actress, similar to how Jamie Lee Curtis was when she was cast in the original. I think that's a great idea because they cast that role perfect. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis didn't even know if she wanted to take this role on, but Jake Gyllenhaal helped convince her to 
come back as Laurie Schrode for this film. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal is a family friend of Jamie Lee and is dubbed as her unofficial godson, which pretty neat. In the child's bedroom, the rotating lamp that they have features a clown with a knife, nod to the original movie, obviously. On the TV, a newscaster can be heard describing the events of the original uh, film as the Babysitter Murders, which was the original title that John Carpenter wanted for the original Halloween movie. It was later changed to Halloween because they thought that because it was getting released near Halloween, it would end up selling more. And this became the highest grossing Halloween film in its opening weekend. Holy cow. So within the Friday... Well, I guess Thursday showings, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This film made more money than any other Halloween movie. Wow. Which is incredible. That is incredible. Yeah, this movie went on to make a ton of money, and it spawned a lot of other movies to make similar style reboots. Uh, We see them all the time now. It's super common. Texas Chainsaw did it. Um, There are a ton of movies coming out with this type of idea, and I, I... it's a great uh, mold to have for your film. So I don't blame them for doing it, but at the same time, it gets a little bit annoying. Yeah. But from here, we're going to get into a scene-by-scene breakdown of this movie uh, going step-by-step. So once again, this is full spoiler territory. If you have not seen this movie, please tune out. Check it out. Come back. See what we have to think about it. So the movie opens with a clock slowly ticking in a sanitarium. So it's going shot by shot, lots of really cool shots of uh, different patients throughout the place. And then we focus in on two interviewers, Aaron and Dana, who are coming in. Uh, They're recording themselves saying that they're at Smith Smith Grove uh, Sanitarium seeing Michael Myers. And they meet with Dr. Sartain, who is basically the new Loomis. Uh, He is the caretaker of Michael, there uh and he says that myers has been kept there for years to be studied he he mentioned several times how myers is being studied not yeah. not that he's there to prevent evil from happening but he has a lifelong obsession basically he even says that i've been obsessed with michael myers my whole life yeah and he became loomis's successor when uh loomis passed um dr loomis was the only one to see him in the wild was a quote that the new uh, Dr. Sartan said. I thought that was interesting that they kind of focused on that, that Dr. Loomis was the only one up until this point to see him in his natural habitat, which I understand, but again, it goes back to he's an animal, he's not a human being. You know, they really tied that in. Yeah. So uh, they say, can we talk to him? And he's like, yeah, sure. So they... Uh, he's saying that everybody gets outside time and you, you go to this outside scene of the sanitarium where everybody gets their in quotes outside time and it is such a cool looking shot yeah uh all of the patients who are outside are chained up to a section and this whole outside area looks like a concrete chessboard uh really really neat visual uh dr sartan explains michael can speak but he chooses not to um Myers doesn't have a mask on, but it does such a really good job of keeping him out of focus. Yeah, I liked that. Even though he wasn't wearing his mask, it's not like they're full on showing his face. Yeah. They're still giving that like allure of... You never see it. Yeah. Of what does he look like? You can tell that he's aged. Yes. So this movie, 
the premise of it is Michael Myers was caught shortly after the 1978 uh, film. So he disappeared, and then later on he's caught. You don't really know how at this point, but you know that he was captured and instantly went to the sand sanitarium uh, where he spent the last 40 years so he's been locked up here since that happened and he's an old man he is huge yes he's a bulking dude uh, but he's got gray hairs it's missing in spots he's got a gray beard it's such a cool look that he has to him yeah uh, so the he inter- still gives that like monster feeling of the uh, the appearance, yeah, but yet he's aged. He's yeah. not this little boy or young adult. He's an appropriate age. Yep, very old man, but definitely one that you would not want to mess with. Even though you don't see his face, you know this is a man that you don't mess with. Yes. So uh, from here, the interview where Aaron is telling him, he's trying to get a reaction out of Michael. He's talking to him about the murder of his sister, the murders that he had, and Michael's not moving and it's irritating him. He, he wants him to talk because obviously he wants his interview to blow up. Right. So he says, hey, I got something for you. Uh, and he reaches into his bag and he pulls out the Michael Myers mask. Uh, such a cool scene. He's... Uh, holding it out, and you can see Michael Myers kind of glance back a little because bit. Michael's he gives a little bit of an emotion. facing him. No, he's facing so, the other way. Right. But he can feel the presence of the mask is kind right. of how I felt it. He kind of looks it. over his shoulder, which I thought was a neat kind of way to film it. Because mm-hmm. you can see his eyes are kind of looking, but he doesn't want to fully focus on what this reporter's trying to get. Yeah. So from here, the... Uh, Aaron is just trying to get him to say anything for this podcast. He can tell that he has his attention, but he's still not giving him anything. So he's just yelling, say something, say something, say something. And that Halloween music kicks off and then we got the title card. And it is such an awesome way to drop the uh, title card on us. The music hits at right, just the right time. It sounds like a gun goes off almost. And, uh, this time we got a reverse decomposing pumpkin. So almost the original films, but played in reverse. Which I thought was neat. So freaking good. That was so awesome. You have the same exact carving as the original pumpkin where the uh, left eye is Michael. The nose is his knife and it just looks amazing. I love everything about this title card. The music that's playing is super classic Halloween music. So now we're in Haddonfield, Illinois. Aaron and Dana are still the main focus, and they're creating recordings as they're driving around about Michael Myers, everything that happened on the way over to Lori's house. This is kind of our dump of data telling us what happened. This is basically the movie telling us without directly telling us in a narrator. Um, Michael was caught after the original murders. He spent 40 years over here. Lori has been hiding. Uh, ever since. I liked the way that they set that up. It didn't feel like let's just drop all this information in kind of an awkward way. It was appropriate. It was the reporters kind of going over their news, figuring out what they were going to put on the podcast or news or whatever. So as a Halloween fan, I could have done without this scene, 
But I understand that this movie was going for much more than the Halloween fan. This movie was going for people who had never seen a Halloween movie before or don't know what's going on or assume that everything that happened previously is an effect. No, all that happened was Michael killed his sister. He escaped 15 years later. He attacked and killed, I believe that it was four people in the original movie, maybe five. I'd have to double check that. And then was locked up for the past 40 years. So at this point, the guy killed uh, five or six people. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so they're heading to Lori Schrode's house to interview her. And they pull up to this place. And she is in basically a lockdown city. Uh, there's a gate surrounding her entire place. You have to page uh, from the gate to get her to let you in or not let you in. There's video uh, cameras all over the place, spotlights everywhere, mannequins all around, and you're like, what the hell is this place? Yeah. Uh, and Looks like the apocalypse. Yeah, she's turning them around instantly. They're like, hey, uh, we'd like to speak with you, please. We're podcasters. And then instantly, Tana like, nope. reaches over. She's like, no, we're investigative journalists. <laughs> Those goddamn podcasters, they suck, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, so as he's talking to her, Dana reaches into the glove box and pulls out an envelope and says, you might need this. And he's like, oh, no, uh, real journalists don't use money to pay for it. So Lori's saying, no, 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 no. And then uh, Dana's like, we have $3,000. Opens <laughs> <laughs> Money Gate talks. Opens. Money uh, talks. So it, it's a pretty funny scene. I enjoy how they did it. Um, so they are now talking to Lori about everything. Um, and they're mentioning how she had two failed marriages, uh, due to rocky relationships. She has a terrible relationship with her daughter, with her granddaughter. So they're just basically painting her out to be a piece of shit and all the things that are wrong in her life to get some type of reaction out of her, which... She handles it like a champ, though. She does. She's like, yeah, I'm a basket case. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Yeah, she's like, why wouldn't I be? Look at what I went through. Yeah. You know, I like how she kind of throws it back at them. Yeah. And uh, so from here, uh, they're explaining to her, you know, Michael Myers, he's moving to a different facility tomorrow. And I don't think that she knew that at this point because she looked like she was kind of taken back a little bit by it. Yeah. Um. And... uh so from here, that Dane asks her about how she lost custody of her daughter when she was 12. And Lori's like, you already know that I lost custody of my daughter. Why are you bringing it up? Yeah. And basically she just said, you can get out now. Your time is up and I'll take my payment, please. Right. <laughs> so she kicks in the fuck out of the house. And uh, now we are over at uh, the Strode residence with uh, Lori's daughter, Karen. Uh, her husband, Ray, and granddaughter, Allison. So Allison wants grandma to come to this award ceremony thing that she has later on that night. And she's asking her mom if she invited uh, Lori to it. And uh, Karen, you can tell she's stumbling over awards a little bit and lying a little bit. She's like, oh, yeah, 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 I invited her. She said that she couldn't make it. And Allison knows that she's full of shit. Yeah. Um, so... Now we're flashing to Allison walking to school with her friends. This is something that every Halloween movie has to do for some reason. They need to have the new Lori walking to school with her friends. Yeah. So she's walking over with Vicky and uh, Dave. And uh, Dave is 
saying something that I've been thinking for a long time. Myers isn't that bad compared to today's society. <laughs> I mean, he only killed a couple of people and 40 years ago and got locked away. Yeah. <laughs> and Vicky's telling him to shut up, but I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, what happened obviously is tragic, but to today's standards, he killed five people 40 years ago. Why are we talking about this guy like he's still terrifying? He's been in jail for 40 years. Right. Guy's got to be six upper 60s at this point. Yeah. But she tells her to shut up. Allison's like, yeah, my mom, my grandma won't live this down. And my mom deals with it every year because of this. Yeah. So we're at school and Allison's boyfriend uh, is introduced to us, Cameron. He's talking about their costumes that they're going to be having for Halloween. And she's more worried about the dinner that they're going to have that night than they are for the Halloween party. And he's kind of taken back by that. He's like, oh, oh, you're serious about this. Like, you're, this is a big deal to you. And it ended up being one. Um, so I think now that was the first time that he was meeting the parents. Yes. So that's, maybe that's why she was freaking out. I think that's my understanding of it as well. Uh, but either way, I thought that it was a neat little scene getting to introduce the character a little bit. Uh, and then uh, Cameron's friend Oscar shows up at this point. And you can instantly tell that this is the friend zone guy. Like he's just in between them. He's not really sure how to be friends with Cameron anymore. He obviously had a crush on Allison. Like they're not saying it, but you can definitely feel it instantly. But, Do you have experience with that? Yeah. So Allison's in class, uh, and her teacher's talking about fate. We'll figure. <laughs> uh, this time I had to laugh a little bit when she was saying it. But once again, homage to the first one, homage to the second one, homage to the 15th one. <laughs> uh, and uh, Allison looks outside and she sees Lori looking at her from the window. Once again, going exactly back to the original Halloween where Michael is out there for Lori. So she goes outside and Grandma's there, uh, Lori Strode, and she gives her the envelope that the podcast gave her of the $3,000. And she's like, I don't, I don't want this. I can't take this. And grandma's like, no, you're going to take it. She's yeah. like, well, what do you want me to do with it? Whatever you want. Go to well, Mexico. I'm going I'm to use it for college. She's like, fuck college. <laughs> <laughs> I love this, Lori. Yes. <laughs> this yes. is awesome. Uh, so Allison is basically yelling at grandma at this point. She's telling her, the boogeyman took priority over your family. You care more about Michael Myers than you do your own daughter, than you do your granddaughter you need to just drop it say yeah. goodbye to michael and get the fuck over it yeah um and Lori instantly goes back and she starts shooting the fuck out of some mannequins at her gun range <laughs> so all the mannequins they see randomly placed throughout the property are there because she's constantly shooting she's constantly training she's constantly getting ready because she knows that she's going to see michael myers again she wants to be prepared yeah Really cool little uh, theme that they have going on with it. Yeah, I like that they make her super prepared. She planned everything. Everything's, you know, got a purpose. She's not taking any chances. Yeah. She knows the type of chaos that he brings, and he she's ready. Yeah, I, I think everything so far about this Laurie Strode character is the probably the best Laurie Strode that we've seen since the original, and in my mind, better. The Laurie Strode in the original was a very, today anyway, a very basic character that that became the blueprint and so many movies did it. This is such a unique 
cool take to the Lori yeah. Strode character, and I love it. They take aspects of H2O Lori, a lot of aspects of it, um, like this next scene. And, uh, well, a little bit later on. Right now, we jump back to Aaron and Dana, the podcasters, and they're listening to recordings from Loomis, which is such an awesome way to bring Donald Pleasance into this movie without being stupid about it. Yes. Um, so they have recordings of him saying that he wants Michael dead. Needs to be dead. He's the devil. Yeah. And then they got uh, Doctor Sartan uh, now transferring Myers, and he's talking to Myers, saying, "Don't worry, Michael. I'll be by your side." So you can see the polar differences in this one scene between what Loomis was and what Doctor Sartan was. Yes. Loomis originally tried to save Michael, realized that there is nothing in Michael besides evil. And then everything about his character just is, I want him dead. Where Sartan knows he is evil. Everything about him is evil. But I would need to study him. Yeah. He's going to be my life's work. Loomis didn't look at it that way. Yeah. So very cool little uh, side-by-side difference there. So now we're at the dinner um, with uh, Karen's family. So Ray's there, Karen, uh, Cameron, and... uh, Allison, and uh, they're joking around. Ray's talking to Cameron like, you know, I used to know your father. He used to sell peyote to me (laughs) when we were kids. His dad is Lonnie, who is the uh, kid that was bullying Tommy Doyle as a kid in the first one, uh, which I thought was pretty neat. I thought it was neat because they gave him be like the typical dad to the boyfriend type of role, but it wasn't over the top. It was funny. Yep, it was it was it was a fun scene. And then Laurie Strode shows up uh, and Karen's like, oh, good. You made it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is such an awesome scene because you can obviously tell she did not invite her. But Laurie's very nervous uh, in this scene. And she shows up and she just chugs a big ass glass of wine. And then uh, she sits down. At the dinner table and like, you know what? Let's start fresh. Let's start clean. And then she just starts crying. Like, I saw him. I saw him. I saw the shape. I saw the shape. Yeah. And she's freaking the fuck out. Because she watched him get loaded on the bus and drive away. Yeah. Yeah. She sat in the uh, parking lot to make sure that it didn't, nothing happened. Right. Uh, And everybody just wants her to forget about Myers at this point. They're telling her, hey, it's in your past. It was 40 years ago. Let it go. Um. So at this point, Lori runs out, Allison runs after her and hugs her. They have such a great relationship, the two of these. Obviously, Allison looks up to her, but she is sick of her shit at the same time. So it's not like she's completely ignoring her shortcomings, but at the same time, she obviously loves her grandmother. Yeah, the dynamic that they put between Allison and Lori, I thought worked well because Allison knows, you know, what had happened. Yeah. And she gives her a lot of credit for her shortcomings, like you said. But she's also not going to let her just kind of ruin her life, Allison's life, by this past. You know, she wants her to move on. Yep. At this point, we're a decent little bit into the movie. There's no kills or anything like that. And it's nothing but character building. Going back to the original, that's what I love. I love it when you can build characters where you can develop your story a little bit, where you can get us prepared before the chaos starts to happen. And this movie does that very well. 
while they're even outside. Karen is inside giving a character story about herself. She explains that she was shooting a gun by the time she was seven. She was learning how to fight by the time she was eight. Social services took her away from her mother at 12 because her mom was an unfit mother. And uh, it was such a neat scene. Yeah. Um, and then from here, we go to a father and son uh, who are in a truck together. Uh, they're going on a hunting expedition and the son's just bitching about how he's missing dance class. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Which, it's so random. It, it's obviously Danny McBride-style humor. Uh, does it hit or not? At the first time that I watched it, I hated the scene. Now yeah. when I watch it, I'm like, I fucking love this yeah, scene. it's funny. Because <laughs> the dad's like, what, you don't like hunting? No, dad, I love hunting. But I also love to dance. Yeah. Like, this is my thing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> they were going on having a full conversation about this. And then... Uh, the son goes, oh, my God, stop, 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 stop. There are tons of people in, like, white robes walking around the street. The bus that they were in crashed. Yeah. Um, so we know now what happened, but they obviously don't. They just see that a bus crashed and there are people walking around. Yeah. So the dad gets out. He's like, hey, I'm going to go check this out. Go ahead and call 911. It's like, okay, no problem. He calls 911. And I think the cop over the phone tells him to go check it out and see what's going on because they don't know whether they're reporting this as a huge emergency. Are there people who need an ambulance? Do right. they need multiple ambulances? And tell they us obviously what's going don't on. know what type of bus it is. Yep, they don't know that it's uh, from the sanitarium and that it's Michael Myers. So the son has a sh- shotgun with him and he's walking around with it. Uh, or not a shotgun, but a rifle because <clears throat> they were hunting. And he's on the phone with the cops and... Uh, it's such an awesome visual of the sun walking out of the truck with the mist all around and the lights of the truck the pointing towards yeah. the bus. It's beautiful the way that this thing is shot. Uh, and there's a bunch of people in the robes walking around. Specifically the shot of just the sun as he's yeah. leaving. It's so well done. Um, he's coming from the darkness. And, uh, well, he's investigating everything that's going on. He steps out. He sees the sheriff on the ground just, like, completely bloodied up. And he does what he's supposed to. He turns the rifle around and taps him with the butt of the rifle to see if he's okay. But to not um, put him in or himself in danger. Yeah. And the cop wakes up because he was unconscious. And he looks at the kid. He's like, run. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so from here, the kid goes onto the bus and Dr. Sartan jumps out from a seat and the kid shoots him. I thought it was funny. He said, don't shoot. Kid shoots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like right away. Absolutely. Uh, but this kid is freaked the fuck out, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and that's not the way to address somebody who shows up with a gun. No. Idiot. No. So <clears throat> he goes back into the truck to just drive the fuck away from there. Like he's had enough of this. Obviously, something fishy is going on, and Myers is in the back seat of the car and strangles and breaks the neck of this 12-year-old kid. I didn't like that. Holy shit. That's telling you this movie's got balls and it's going to go there. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome scene. I cringed because I knew it was coming. Well, and the first I... time you saw this, you didn't. No, well, that's what <laughs> I mean. Like, I knew it was coming because I've seen it, Yeah. and I just cringed because hearing the snapping of his <clears> neck and seeing it was just... Yeah. Oh. Yep. Absolutely. We have a twelve-year-old. That's why. <laughs> um. And later on, you see Officer Hawkins come to this scene, uh, and he 
the first thing that he sees is the kid's dad and his broken neck, and it's broken in such a like crazy way to where it snapped and almost lifted off and pushed over to the side to where he broke it completely off. Yeah. Brutal looking. Officer Hawkins is such a great actor. I just have to say that. He does very good in this role. Uh, I'm not sure what his name is or what he's in. Let me see if I can find that while we're talking about the scene. So he also sees uh, Dr. Sartan, and he's still alive. So he was shot, but he's okay. Uh, Officer Hawkins was done by Will Patton. Yes, I, I definitely in, know his name. He's in Remember the Tidings. He's the coach. Okay. And I've that's how that. I know him. But I know he's in He was in Armageddon. Stuff. Yes. I definitely remember him from that. Yes. The Mothman Prophecies. I remember that movie. He kind of looks similar to somebody that was in the Rob Zombie things, too. Oh, shit. His father's Bill Patton. Yes. That's cool. Okay. Yes, I know, I know you know him. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, he does such an awesome job as Officer Hawkins in yes. this movie. It's very, very well done. Yes. So now we pan to a title that tells us that it's October 31st, and we're back to the podcasters. They're walking through the cemetery. They see Judith Meyer's gravestone. And for the first time in any of the Halloween movies, there's not something wrong with Judith Meyer's gravestone. It's actually there. Yes. <laughs> Which I, <laughs> I noticed that. I forgot that it was just there because we just watched every single Halloween movie. So I was getting ready to see how it was desecrated, but it actually <laughs> wasn't. And no. I was kind of took back by that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It was weird to see the actual stone in the right spot. Yep. So uh, from here, the podcasters are talking about uh, everything that happened with Judith Myers and all that. And basically at this point, they're just wrapping things up because they're done. They yeah. Everything that they needed to do. They talked to Michael Myers. They talked to um, Jamie Glee. They talked to, they went to the grave site. At this point, their little Hollywood tour is over and they're heading home. So they stop at a gas station on the way home. Uh, Aaron goes to fill up the car with gas while Dana goes. She says she's got to take a number two. <laughs> so she goes to the bathroom. Um, so she's in the bathroom stall. Um, and. Myers enters the bathroom or yeah. So she's in the bathroom and then it shows Aaron paying for the gas. And while he's, or no, no, I'm wrong. So Dana goes to the bathroom, but before she does, she has to ask him where the bathroom is. And while she's talking to the cashier, I don't think you saw this because you didn't react to it, but in the background, you I can see him. Michael Myers attacking the mechanic That's in the uh, garage, which is such a freaking cool scene because it's so hard to see. It's just in the background. Yeah. If you're not looking for it, you're probably not going to see it. It's a little blurry. Yep. They very intentionally... I didn't see it the first time, but when I rewatched it um, for this, I saw it. And there was a couple other things. I saw him walk past, uh, what was Aaron, while he was getting gas. Yeah. It was kind of blurry. You couldn't see it. And I was like, that's so cool. And he f he saw out of the corner of his eye the mask in the back of Aaron's car. Yeah. So he knew where it was. So Dana's in the bathroom stall, and then Myers enters the bathroom. He starts checking stall by stall, and then he figures out which one Dana's in, and he starts banging on the door. Uh, it shows Aaron going to pay for the ca uh, gas, and the cashier is dead. 
uh, just brutally murdered. Oh, his his face is so just messed so up. messed up. It's left on the counter for him oh, to see. And then so he gross. goes into the other room because the other door is open and the mechanic is dead. And it shows his jaw pretty much ripped out of his fucking face. Um, and he's just in his undergarments because he had a overalls on and now they're not there, obviously. Yeah. So <clears throat> he runs to the bathroom to check on her. And now we're back in the bathroom and Myers reaches his hand over the stall and drops all the teeth that he ripped out of the mechanic into the bathroom stall. So creepy. She freaks the fuck out, obviously, and she's crawling under the stall screaming for Aaron to come in and she needs help. Aaron breaks in to the bathroom because Myers locked the door behind her and just fucking slams Michael Myers in the face with a crowbar. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's such a brutal swing that he yeah. has at him, but Michael and him start fighting and Myers just beats his goddamn head into a bloody pulp in the wall. It is so brutal and unforgiving and just crazy. Awesome. Awesome scene. Yeah, he- These kills that Myers has done in this movie are super brutal, but they're not. They're not over the top. Like the Rob Zombie movies yes. are as far as with gore and all of that. These are, you can tell that he is giving 100% of his effort, but it's not like over-the-top gore. No. And the sound effects are on point. It's not like super loud, obnoxious. It yep. fits the scene with the the kill. Yeah, but I, I do enjoy the sound effects of the Rob Zombie kills more, <laughs> but this is still done very well. Yes. So uh, Myers ends up strangling Dana. Um And then he leaves and grabs his mask. And it's probably the coolest shot of the movie is him putting his mask on in slow motion. Yeah. uh, And then slamming the trunk of the car shut again. You can tell that he feels complete. Yeah, he needed that. So Lori hears the news of how Myers broke out of the bus and she's freaking the fuck out. And she's checking over things at her house. And she actually has a secret passage under her kitchen island and kitchen uh which leads to like some type of um, bunker uh, underground bunker um karen comes home and finds the doors open and she's just like yeah whatever uh hey is it ron or roy ray 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 hey ray is that you and she kind of ignores it and she's like yeah whatever and then ray ends up walking in from the back door so it was her and then Lori just fucking pops out from the top of the steps, <laughs> pointing a gun at her kid's face. Bang, you're dead. And they're like, what, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's such an awesome scene. It's so funny, but it's also going back to Karen's upbringing. Like her yeah. mom's pointing guns at her fucking face, yeah. testing out the security of her house. like, pop goes the weasel. Bang, you're dead. And you can even tell Ray is sick of her shit. He's yeah. like, get the what are you doing with a gun in my house? I know. <laughs> he knows that she's not going to shoot or anything, but he's just like, put the gun down. Right. And Lori says, uh, <clears throat> the Myers bus crashed and she has a plan. You need you need to come with me. Yeah, where's Allison? Like, Let's no, go. No, the plan is you need to get out of my house. The world is not dark and evil. The world is not a dark and evil place. It's filled with love and understanding. And I had to laugh at this because you know that she's going to regret saying that sentence (laughs) by the end of this movie. Yes. Uh, So Officer Hawkins is now at the gas station and he instantly knows that it was Michael Myers who did this. Uh, Obviously, he saw that the Myers bus crashed and that he's free. And now um, this happens. 
So some kids bump into Michael Myers trick-or-treating, and this is such a fucking awesome, amazing scene. It's a super long one-take where Michael first walks into one shed. He grabs a hammer, walks into the house, kills some lady who's making a sandwich. You don't see him beat her with a hammer, but you hear it from the other room. Mm -hmm. And the camera pans in. You see the carnage of what happened. He grabs the knife that she was using to cut the sandwich. The camera follows him to the next house. He walks into that house. Like, he walks up to the front. The lady's on the phone. She has the door locked. So he walks around the side of the house, and we're still looking in from the front window. He comes in from the back, stabs the lady through the neck, and you see the knife come out. It's such an amazing one take and it's done so fucking well yes i really loved that scene it was set up so perfect it took probably an extraordinarily amount of effort to get that right yeah but it was so well done i couldn't even imagine the amount of uh lighting problems that they were having during that because it's so damn perfect yeah and it's telling you that michael is back to kill yeah, like he doesn't that, that's care all that's who in his he's going to kill. He, he just, just needs to kill. Yep. Um, so now we're at the party. Allison and Cameron are there as a couple, and they're Bonnie and Clyde, but the reverse Bonnie and Clyde. So he is the girl, she's the boy, and it's a pretty funny uh, set of costumes that they had, and you can tell why they were trying to keep it secretive from the parents. Yeah. Um, and uh, then we transfer to Vicky calling Allison and. Uh, she picks up the phone. Uh, Vicky's pissed because she can't be there because she's babysitting a kid named Julian in the town. And I put Julian's such a funny dude. They're having such a cool yeah. back and forth conversation with each other that, believe it or not, wasn't even scripted. Uh, they wanted them to talk back and forth to each other, but Julian was like coming up with his own lines. He's like, I'm over here clipping my nasty ass toes. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, well, I babysit a loser kid who's clipping his nasty ass toes. You aren't even my favorite. As a matter of fact, you're my least favorite kid so that, that I babysit for. No, they were kind of ad-libbing back and forth with each other. It worked other. very well. It did. It, it's such a cool dynamic. And then she goes to put him to bed and she tells him, hey, by the way, you are my favorite kid that I babysit for. And she's like, he's like, yeah, I know. I, I like you too. Yeah. Uh, so now we go back into the party. Allison walks back in to find Cameron kissing on another girl. And he's a dick. He he grabs her phone and throws in a bucket of nacho cheese. Yeah, I said he's such a pussy. <laughs> Just because he won't, uh, she won't instantly forgive him. Yeah. He was obviously drinking. I, I really, the way that I look at it is, yeah, you should never kiss another girl. But she definitely pushed herself onto him at the very last second. And he kind of backed up a little bit. But. Either way, uh, she caught him uh, making out with another girl, so she leaves. Now, Lori is patrolling the streets like she's a cop. She's got a police radio in there, and she's just going from street to street. Pretty neat little scene. So Dave shows up uh, to the house that Vicky is babysitting with, uh, because they're obviously a couple, and they start making out on the couch. She shows a uh, tattoo that he got of the date with their name on it because they want to commemorate the night, <laughs> uh, which was pretty funny. Um, and then as they're making out, Vicky starts hearing the noise uh, and makes him go check it out. And uh, Julian comes downstairs and says somebody's watching him from inside of a room. And Vicky's just like, yeah, I'll check it out. No problem. Uh, 
This and is who he, I meant was a pushover was Dave, not Cameron. Dave's not a pushover. He is because he's like, oh yeah, don't. I'll let my girlfriend go do it. And later on, you can tell that he doesn't really want to go see what what's happening. He'd rather have his girlfriend do it. Yeah, that's not how I looked at this at all. Because if me and you are making out and we hear a noise, I'm not going to be like, okay, I'll go investigate the whole house because that's what I want to do. It's Yeah, you just heard something. Who cares? But you're the guy. So? It, it's a noise. Noises happen. That doesn't mean you need to stop what you're doing and search the whole house. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we t- need to have a different conversation then. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not searching the house. Yeah, I to hear me, something. Dave's not an idiot Okay. <laughs> Other than the fact that he goes out back to smoke some weed and act like he's riding a motorcycle <laughs> was a little bit weird. But the fact that he didn't check out the noise, no. It, if my kid comes downstairs and says that they heard something in their room, either one of us can go check it out. It doesn't have to be. I will not be partaking. <laughs> not after all this horror stuff. Yeah, maybe I'll make you check it out next time just for fun. <laughs> Uh, so either way, Vicky goes in and she checks the room. Nothing's there. Uh, he, uh, Julian asks her to close the closet. She tries to, but it keeps popping open. It's because Michael Myers is in there. He busts through the door, slices her arm open. And Julian's like, Oh shit. (laughs) He sprints out out of there. (laughs) It was a pretty funny scene, but then it goes right back to Meyer stabbing her several times. And, this, as funny as that scene was, it kind of pissed me off that it took away from the seriousness of it. Because you can tell Julian and her were really close friends. But then the second that things get serious in the movie, we go to, like, comedy routine. Yeah. I didn't appreciate it, but at the same time, I did laugh. It was funny. Yeah. But either way, Miles Meyer stabs her several times. Uh, Dave runs in, because he heard it. And Julian's running out. He... Tells him what's going on, and Dave grabs the knife and goes to check it out. So at this point, it leaves the house. Cops uh, get a call to go to the house. Kids are trick-or-treating outside in Halloween 3 masks, which I thought was pretty cool. The witch, the skeleton, and the pumpkin. Yeah. That was pretty neat that they threw those in here. Um, And uh, Officer Hawkins is the first person to respond and you don't get to see anything really. Lori drives up to the residence, has her gun drawn already. Officer Hawkins sees Vicky in a bed sheet like the original movie when Bob came up there. Uh, and he threw the pumpkin that they had on the front porch in the fish tank as well, which I thought was pretty neat. So he's setting up a little playground. Once again, he's playing with his toys. Yeah. Um, Lori sees the reflection of Myers and the mirror and shoots... And somehow Lori and Hawkins both miss um, Michael Myers. They're both trying to shoot him and he gets away. Lori shoots him in the shoulder, but then he just disappears. And as Officer Hawkins is running out, you see Dave is strung up on the wall and the knife in the neck. So similar to the Bob kill where he hangs him with the knife, this time he does it through his freaking neck. Oh, so gross. Dude. (laughs) (laughs) It's brutal. So at this point, Sheriff Barker rolls up. He is uh, the new sheriff in town, and he's with Dr. Sartan, uh, and they show up to the crime scene. And he claims he's the only person that knows uh, how to keep moving and keep killing. Dr. Sartan is just amazed to meet Lori Schroeder. Like, as soon as he finds out it's Lori, he's just like, oh my god. Yeah, almost like meeting a celebrity. Yeah, 
And she's like, who the hell are you? And he explains it. And she he even says, oh, so you're the new Loomis. I thought that was funny. <laughs> uh, so Hawkins was first responding to the first responding deputy. And Lori prays every night that he would escape. Just that way she could kill him. Which I thought was a pretty neat uh, yeah. quote that she had. And Officer Hawkins is like, well, that's about the dumbest thing that he could pray for. Is for that uh, man to escape. Yeah. Obviously, we'll get the body count that we're seeing. So now we got Oscar walking Allison home, trying to comfort her because obviously uh, Cameron was being a dick, and uh, he's also trying to break out of the friend zone. She's like telling him, "Oh, don't worry, you're the prettiest and coolest gr- girl in the school." <clears throat> and now we're uh, back to Sartan, who's talking about the thoughts behind Michael Myers. He wants to know the why behind Myers says he's a property of the state and he mustn't be harmed. So we're starting to get some seeds drawn in about Sartan and a little bit of foreshadowing of what's going to happen. Cops pull up to Karen and Ray's house with Lori and they explain everything that's going on. There's a cop uh, there to grab Allison if she ends up coming back home. They're basically going back to Lori's house to hide out and there's a cop being stationed there that way if... uh, Allison does come home. They can bring her right over there with them. Yeah. So now we're back to Allison. um, And Oscar tries to give her a kiss. And she instantly leaves him. She's just like a complete bitch about it. And leaves. Uh, At this point, uh, Cameron's laying on the ground because she slapped him or something like that. And he fell down. He's obviously drunk. And he's in this yard with motion sensors going off. They're triggering these lights to come on and off. And he sees Myers in the background and starts talking to him. He thinks that he's the owner of the house. And he's, like, explaining his situation to him. Like, <laughs> hey, man, have you ever just, like, really liked a girl? And then uh, you try and get with her and things just don't go the way that you think that they're going to go. <laughs> and it's such a funny moment because not only is he talking to Mike, he's basically talking to Mike about how he felt about Laurie Strode in Halloween, too. <laughs> He spent the whole movie chasing after her. But either way, it was pretty funny. And the lights are cutting in and out. And each time that they cut back in, Michael will be gone. And they cut out. And then they cut in and Michael's closer. And they yeah. cut out and they cut back in. And then Michael's right on him. And he stabs him, lifts him up, and impales him through the fucking face. And hanging from a fence. So there's iron spiked fence. He lifts him up. And sets him on the iron spike and Ugh. drops him so it goes through the bottom of his jaw, through his mouth, and out his mouth. Ugh. Dude. <laughs> it's such a graphic look. Yeah. And it looks so brutal. At this point, Allison sees him because she heard him screaming. So she turned around to make sure everything was okay. She thought that uh, Oscar was just being, like, joking around to get her to come back. Yeah. And then she sees him. And then she sees Michael in the background. And this amazing siren type of score is playing that I haven't heard before. It's just like almost like an alarm type of noise. Dude, it's so awesome. You can see in this scene, all the stories that Grandma Lori had told her are coming true. And she's realizing like, holy crap, Grandma was right. Like this guy really is evil and he murdered you know, all these people and he's coming for her. Yep. It, it's such an awesome moment in the movie. 
there are so many of these moments that I absolutely love. So she's going from house to house to try to get uh, help from anybody. She's getting no answer. Now we're back to Lori, Karen, and Ray, who are all freaking out that they can't find Allison. Allison gets in touch with the cops, and Officer Hawkins and Dr. Sartain go to go pick her up. So Ray, Karen, and Lori um, go into their bunker uh, that's just filled with food and guns. So you finally go down into this bunker. There's food everywhere, and Ray's like, well, this is pleasant. And then they open up a closet, and there's nothing but guns, and he's like, oh, this this was your life, huh, Karen? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Myers is walking around town with a bloody knife, and Officer Hawkins sees him. So he pulls, just slams into Michael and hits him with the car. And uh, Dr. Sartan is yelling at him for this. Like, we need him alive. What yeah. are you doing? Yeah. So uh, Zartan refuses to let Hawkins shoot him. He brings his gun out and... He's like, go ahead and arrest him. He's like, no, I'm going to shoot him in the fucking head. Yeah. And he goes to shoot him. Zartan stabs Hawkins in the neck. So at this point, Allison is trapped in the cop car watching this. And Zartan uh, reaches down and he grabs Michael Myers' mask and put it on. puts it on. He's trying to see what the power of it feels like. I know. That was such a powerful scene. So you think this is a powerful scene. This is what made this movie not be a 10 for me. I hated the Zartan character. Uh, I do not enjoy it. I don't like what they did with it. I don't like how he's the driving force. I don't like anything about it. Uh, The initial stuff I thought was cool. The initial stuff at the hospital, how he's interested in studying, how he's interested in Myers. That was okay. But when you go full-blown, this is our new bad guy, I didn't like it. I just said... I can see where he wants to put the mask on because he wants to feel connected to Myers. It's like a badge to him. Thinks it will help him understand it. I didn't agree with it, but I thought that the way that they played it out made sense. Gotcha. So he throws uh, Michael in the back of the car. He drags him over, tosses him in, and then just tosses the mask back on Michael. And he hops in the car, and uh, he's trying to talk to Allison, saying, like, I've never heard him talk. I just want to hear him talk. And she's in the background, like, I heard him talk. Allison plays him like a fiddle. Yeah. Um, Where am I here? So Dr. Zartan thinks that he's pursuing Lori. So he's trying to create this narrative that Lori Strode is what Michael's after. So he created all this chaos to try and get uh, Michael to chase Lori to kind of fulfill his fantasy of what he thinks it is. Yeah. So they're going to Lori Strode's house right now, and there are two cops outside of Lori's house just having a pretty funny conversation about food. So back in Halloween 5 where the cops had clown shoes and all this stupid shit – these cops are just having like a normal conversation, but being funny about it. So I enjoy how they portray them. And I said, I wish they would have cut that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. Uh, we I have such different was taste. Funny here and it worked well. So yeah. Sartain is talking to her and uh, he stops in front of the cops and Michael Myers is now back up and he breaks the fuck out of the separator that's in between the front and back seat of the cop car, smashes it into the back of Sartan. Uh, Sartan kind of t- tumbles out of the car. Myers busts his way out and he squishes Sartan's head like a fucking grape. Oh, and then so starts crazy. doing his little head tilt thing. Yeah. So the two cops are uh, calling over to, because they know that's Officer Hop- uh, 
Hawkins car and they're like, Hey, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? No response. They go over there to check it out. And at this point, Allison escaped. She got to run away. So the cops, uh, car pulls up in front of the house and Ray goes to check it out. And by the time that Ray makes it to the car, you see the flashlight on the cops inside of it. And Myers killed the one dude, killed the other cop, cut his head off, yeah. carved the insides of it out like a pumpkin, and put a candle in there to light it up like a jack-o'-lantern. I and know. It, or not a candle. He put the flash cop's flashlight in there. Such an awesome, awesome, I awesome know. scene. Uh, so Myers uh, was just hanging out inside the cop car, and he kills Ray outside. Um, so Lori uh, tries to see what it is and sees Myers outside and sends Karen into the shelter. So Ray is dead. Karen's in the shelter. Lori closes the door to try and get uh, to Michael Myers. So now we're in the face-off that everybody's been waiting on in this movie. And Myers grabs uh, Lori Schrode's hands through the door and starts strangling her. But Lori faces her shotgun towards his hand and just blows two of his fingers off of his left hand. That's such a cool scene. It was. Uh, and Lori enters the shelter now, turns all the lights on around the house. So spotlights are popping on. And they hear Myers break into the house and Lori says, I have to finish this. I'm going to leave you on your own. So she leaves the shelter. Lori slowly patrols the house room by room, and she has these metal bars uh, set up at the entrances of every room. So once she clears a room, she hits a switch, and it shuts, like, locks the room off. Yeah, it's so like a trap nobody door. Can, nobody can get back into that house, so Myers isn't going to hide on her. Uh, Lori ends up finding Ray's body in one of the closets upstairs, and as she turns around, Myers is there. They have a pretty cool fight scene. It's not great, but it's good. Uh, she falls off the balcony, and then Michael looks back, and then she disappeared. Very reverse of the Halloween one thing where Myers disappears. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Allison now shows up to the house, and Myers hears her coming in. Karen comes out of the shelter uh, to get Allison and sends her down there with you. And there's a very silent scene before Myers finally finds the shelter entrance, and he starts attacking it. And Karen looks over and grabs her childhood gun. Uh, it had her initials in it. And she's freaking the fuck out. She's like, I can't do this, Mom. I'm sorry. I can't do this. I can't do this. And then Michael finally comes in. He pops his head in. Gotcha. I know. <laughs> she shoots him in the neck. <laughs> I, I love uh, it. She played him just the way that he thought she would. And it was great. Yeah. So uh, she shoots him. They end up getting Michael into the uh, shelter. And then uh, Lori stabs him in the neck. Happy Halloween. Michael kicks him in there. And they lock him in. And she pushes another button. And you can see all these gas uh, tubes turning on. And uh, Karen goes, uh, Allison, it's not a cage. It's a trap. Yeah. So this thing was in place for many, many years in case if Michael came out, they can trap him in here, set all these propane tubes on, and then they throw a torch in there and walk away. I know. whole house comes on fire, and they hop in the back of a truck to get away. Credits roll with uh, a closing visual of Michael in the flames trapped in the cellar. Yeah, and it shows that Allison has the knife. Correct. 
Uh, I don't think that it showed that as uh, like a hint of what Jamie was in Halloween 4. It no, was nothing not like, like that. that. I just meant like she was holding the knife kind of like in shock. Like yeah, she I, was in complete shock of what happened. Yeah, I didn't mean it like that. Okay. Yeah, so that that's how this movie ended. And if at the time they didn't announce that this was going to be a trilogy. At the time, this was a standalone movie, and I thought that it was perfect. So I I noticed as they were, like, burning the trap, why was there a model of the Myers home down there? There was a model of the Myers home. It was like obviously, Lori was completely obsessed with everything. It was like a dollhouse type of thing. And I'm guessing that's what it was as she was planning her attack of Michael, she might have thought maybe it was going to happen at the Myers house. So she had that as a fallback. Okay. As she knows that house inside and out. I just noticed and it. And maybe as that's going to come into play here in Halloween Ends coming up. Uh, maybe the final fight scene will take place there. And the fact that she studied the house will come to her advantage. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I honestly don't know how they're going to do it. But originally, I thought that this movie would be a one and done kind of H2O type of vibe. And if that's the case, it's such a good Ending. way to close this movie out. Yep. Um, at the time, I wish that the stakes were higher. I wish one of the three girls died, preferably Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. I wish that she was trapped down there with Michael. She's the one who hit the uh, um, thing to close the entrance off and start the fire. Yeah. Um, that would have been an even more perfect ending to this story. Uh, to where Karen and um, Allison are now the two surviving Strodes. Yeah. Uh, but it, the movie was great. I'm not going to fault it for that. Once they truly, truly, truly messed up when they said this is going to be a trilogy. Yes. I'm all for it being a trilogy, but don't say that until the movie comes out because then you instantly know with Halloween Kills, Michael's not going to die at yeah. the end of Halloween Kills and that absolutely sets you up for failure. Now, every single Halloween movie, with the exception of H2O, did leave a possibility of Michael being alive or completely flat out told you that he's alive. Yeah, That's how most of these franchises work. But the fact that they instantly told you this is going to be a trilogy made you just go, why? Yeah. Why, why would you say that? Yeah. It kind of takes away from the second movie for it, sure. It, it leaves no opening for a shock at the end. Now, is there? Well, maybe we'll get into that once we talk about it. Yeah. Um, but you already know that when there's a trilogy, the first one sets up the story. This one did that super well. Yeah. The second one gets you ready for the third movie. The third one gives you what you want. So Halloween Kills never stood a chance from the beginning to be that standalone excellent movie. Yeah. And it's because they instantly announced that it's part of a trilogy. You already know that the stakes aren't super high and what's going on with it. That killed it for me. But this movie as a standalone thing, I, I mentioned this in the last podcast. I saw this one uh, on opening day. And they had a double feature for the showing. They originally showed the 1978 Halloween. There was about a 10-second break, just enough time for them to switch the reels out. And then it was Halloween 2018. And it was such an epic, epic way to show these movies. Uh, It was great. But uh, the next podcast will be Halloween Kills. Till next time, this is the Horror's Edge Podcast, and I am Phil. And I'm Stacy. We'll catch you next time.